Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? Giggling like a bunch of young bros in a schoolyard. Well, let me tell a joke. The great and has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man! I'm a very good man! Good man! They think deep thoughts, and with no more brains than you have. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, you were this podcast's last hope, the strong one, the one who had too strong a will to get COVID. What happened? You know, some combination of immigrants and uh, <laughs> Biden. In fact, two people in my family got it before me, and I was like testing negative tests. I was like, I'm a fucking superhero. I'm a, like, <laughs> yeah. I was just like so walking around like with my chest puffed up. <laughs> and I, but, you know, like normally I would have been jealous, but I was just proud. I was just proud <laughs> to be a part of it. You, you were, know? yeah. <laughs> you were rooting for me. <laughs> when I saw that line, like come up, I, I felt yeah. like a teenage pregnancy, you know, it's the, like a fuck. Exactly. God damn it. <laughs> I I like that's how I felt too. It's like, oh no. Uh yeah. But luckily it wasn't too bad for me, at least. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Uh, no, like no more coughing than normal. Uh, <laughs> right. just like default coughing. It's true, actually. I haven't even heard you cough yet. <laughs> Uh, we're a little worried about his cough very yeah. <laughs> so i've had like lung cancer for 12 years <laughs> slow it's slow moving all right so today we're going to conclude our discussion on burning the discussion we had to cut short at least in like we actually finished it at the time but we cut it short um because it was way too long i think it was as long as the movie it was longer i think or at least the total recording time. yeah uh but totally I, I love that movie and I'm glad we did. You had, you said something to me as I was stressing about like the way we, we should embrace the way we just kind of go through movies practically scene by scene and not fight it. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Deep dive. Like, I don't know any other way. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> we care too much. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So speaking of caring too much and speaking also of getting some reciprocal caring from our listeners, we are going to choose from a list of topics. We do this twice a year. We ask our Patreon supporters, all of them to suggest podcast topics for us for an episode. And then uh, we choose five or six finalists, which are $5 and up Patreon supporters will vote on some of our best episodes, honestly, and some of our most, I don't know, remember you doing race and IQ. <laughs> I like to 
<laughs> try to forget. <laughs> yes. Well, I've been asked to speak at the University of uh, Austin at Texas <laughs> on the strength of that. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you see the, the article? I saw it. I saw you put it in the Slack and I couldn't help but start reading it like I was supposed to be paying attention to dinner. <laughs> Stay tuned, listeners. We might have to devote like like four episodes to that. To that. I love that it's in Dallas. It's not even in Dallas. I was so thrown off by that. <laughs> uh, all right. So we have a bunch of topics. As usual, we get like over a hundred of these. I yeah. think this is more than we've ever gone. We each chose, I don't know. I have like six or seven. Yeah. I'm not more. sure if we're going to have a ton of overlap. Here. I don't think so. Yeah. You don't There's think one, so? I put my money on overlap for one. I 100% uh, overlap for one. Yeah. But that's, uh, but beyond that, I'm not sure. I would probably yeah. say over under two and a half. Yeah. What would you do? Two. Two? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I have a lot. So, like, that's cheap. Yeah, I have but... a lot too. All right. Uh, should I start? Sure. Skyler suggested an episode on reductionism, which I'm sort of into the idea of tackling reductionism and its opposite as, as a topic. And I've, I think this is motivated by a bunch of arguments I've gotten in with Sean Nichols about this stuff. He's an infuriating <laughs> person to argue with. I argue the opposite of whatever it is that he argues. But, you know, when it comes to the mind, like the understanding, again, I forget what we argued, but he teaches this intro sci class and he really gets into the nuts and bolts of like, does it make sense to say that the mind can be explained by appeal to lower processes? And I think we all know like that we both probably think no <laughs> yeah. but i think he thinks yes uh i'm sorry if i'm mischaracterizing it but yeah. Uh, yeah i mean it wouldn't surprise me so that would depend on a good reading for me alex rosenberg is the real reductionist is he um yeah my supervisor mm. who i still very much love and wish i was more in touch with but yeah, I didn't have this on my list only because I don't know exactly how we would tackle it. It would have to be a good paper. Or so, or a good guest. Or, or Sean. Yeah. Or like a uh, shitty guest. You know, Sean. If you would deign to be on our <laughs> podcast. I, I would put that out there. I just don't think it's formed yeah. enough for us to really make it a, a finalist. These all make it to a list of some sort for later on anyway. Absolutely. And of course, like, we're both fairly anti-reductionist, yeah. so it would be fun to have a kind of zealot. On. <laughs> All right, Matthew Ashbacher, do elephants have souls? And then gave uh, a link to a New Atlantis article. I'd be kind of interested. I I'm fascinated by elephants and the depth of their, you know, social and emotional lives and i would be really interested in learning more about that this is a fairly you know it's a long read in this journal so i would definitely yeah i love elephant that. shit yeah, yeah i would totally be down and in fact can we just say now like i think maybe we could combine this with a dog cognition like mm. we might we might do just like animals intelligence some something elephants like and dogs elephants and dogs like probably the two the smartest two, animals and the two best species yeah i'm sure dolphins are great and smart but you know i think they're assholes from yeah well they're rapey they're, they're, they're rapey. rapey yeah whereas i don't think elephants are rapey i don't think well dogs <laughs> dogs is complicated but uh yeah definitely we're below dogs and elephants 
it's a question. I think we're like, it's a question, at least with us and dolphins. Right. Well, I think dolphins are probably right ahead of us. Hence, they're evil. Their evil is even more evolved. <laughs> they just have, and they evolved like a weird smile on their face, so you think that they're <laughs> no, fine no. right before, right before they <laughs> attack you. <laughs> and they're so pissed about like sea worlds, yeah. like doing those things. That is yeah, not. They're like Aquaman, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, a Count of Monte Cristo with the dolphins. <laughs> they're just waiting. All right, uh, you're next. So, okay. Schopenhauer is one of these things we keep threatening that we might do. Yeah. And Zach Ketopotis um, suggested a couple of readings, which I think is what, like, one of the things That's I've what muted. Yeah. yeah. Schopenhauer, he suggested either the vanity of existence or the sufferings of the world. Yeah. So I'd be down for. I would too. I have this on my list. Okay. So that's cool. one. And, and if we don't like those particular essays, philosoph like the best example of philosophical pessimism that we will, that we can come up with. Yeah, I would love to do Schopenhauer. I'm doing this uh, Borges seminar, you know, like yeah. philosophy and Borges. And uh, Borges was apparently a huge, huge yeah. fan of Schopenhauer. Yeah. So, All right. I just don't want to like read the world is willing it, you know, like the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So. All right. All right. I think we're agreed on this one. Cool. Um, I don't think you're going to put this on the list, but I can already tell that this is my favorite book, even though it seems very <laughs> hard to get. And like, a unless book. you're willing to uh, like, pay like $250, but Social Science as Sorcery by Stanislav Andreski. Um, <laughs> I've been reading about it. I've been trying to figure out how to get it, looking for like PDFs of it. Listeners, if you have it, please send it to me, whatever I'm willing to cross any ethical, like, guideline i i like this is my new favorite book just by uh who put it on uh dg yeah. put it uh, the link to amazon even the picture is blurry <laughs> on the amazon page <laughs> it's like they're trying to prevent you from even reading the title illegally <laughs> yeah exactly because big psychology you know the dan gilberts the paul blooms who think katie herzog and jesse single is funnier than us uh <laughs> They don't want you to read this book. Yeah, look at it. Jesus Christ. It's so weird. I don't think this is real. Listen, we can't actually include this, but if you can get me this book, like I will die happy. This is just your plug. Like, uh, I'm surprised not even a PDF exists. I know. Believe me. I spent like probably 45 minutes trying to figure out how I get my hands on this book. Um, so Donald Westbrook recommended High and Low by Kurosawa. Oh, yeah. I literally, right before we listened, I had pulled that up on Wikipedia. Before we recorded? Right before we recorded. I didn't, like, I don't know anything about this movie, but I love Toshiro Mifune, the actor. Oh. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Toshiro Mifune. <laughs> there. <laughs> Pizarro at gmail.com. <laughs> So this is, it seems like a cool movie. I feel like we could do more Kurosawa. We've done two movies, I think, of his. Ikiru and Rashomon. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for Kurosawa. And it's like noir detective stuff. Yeah. We both love that yeah. shit. I don't think it'll win, though. So it's not necessarily going on the list, but I think it's, uh, yeah. All right, what do you got? So part of the problem with this for us is a lot of people recommend stuff that we have no idea 
<laughs> what mm-hmm. it is or whether it's good. It's very hard for me to, to, like, we have to trust you, and sometimes we can do some research. But I was intrigued by a short story called, so this is Xylem Floem suggested, um, short story by Ken Liu called The Man Who Ended History, a documentary. It just seemed, sounded intriguing. I know nothing about Ken Liu. Have you ever heard of Ken Liu or this story? No. Okay, I'm going to look into it then before I commit to having it on my list. Then maybe I'll just read it. All right. I think this is on your list. Jesse Graham, friend of the podcast, suggested The Passenger and Stella Maris, his two last novels by Cormac McCarthy. I also know a Cormac McCarthy scholar, Stacey Peebles, who could come on. She's cool and she could talk about these. I think that would be awesome. The only reason it's not on my list is because I assumed we would do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is like an RS. This is one of my RSTLNEs. <laughs> yeah. I just think like, and we probably couldn't do it until the end of the semester. Yeah. I did download both of them just because I want to read them anyway. I'm down to put it on. I mean, we don't have to record this right away. Was Blood Meridian the winner of the last one? Is that why we did it? It was definitely a yes, finalist. I think so. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> this is where <laughs> Rotted brains are at right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, the, the final list is at least the reason that we did it, whether we want or not. So it would be good, but it, we would have to put it off till the summer. I, yeah. I think, like early summer, but summer. They're short. They're both very short. I'd be down to put it on the list anyway. Ronald Olding suggested Flannery O'Connor. Uh, oh, definitely. This is on my list. Yeah, a good man is hard to find. A good man is hard to find, but I'm sure there are other stories that would be yeah. perfectly fine as well but i started thinking about it because cormac mccarthy clearly was inspired by flannery o'connor yeah totally i think that should go on the list i would love an excuse to just make us actually do it yeah i i love that story i love the flannery o'connor that i've read i don't know if this is real but matthew kendall i mean <laughs> the advice is real i don't know if it's <laughs> real that we're gonna have it on the podcast <laughs> The Phenomenology of Inner Time Consciousness Lectures by Husserl. To, like, I feel like Husserl is one of those people like Berkson where I probably agree with him in like, the depths <laughs> of my soul in ways that I don't even understand myself. But the problem is, is that I haven't looked at these lectures to see if we can make heads or tails of it, which can be a problem sometimes with Husserl. Right. So Right. I I didn't put it on my list because I tried to read Husserl once and it was like made Heidegger seem like Hemingway. <laughs> right. Because Husserl is Jewish and Heidegger uh, was a Nazi. <laughs> That's a good uh, quote for the podcast. I read Husserl and he made... A- Heidinger seemed like Hemingway. <laughs> I like that. All right. I'm not putting a kibosh on Husserl, but you look at it and tell me if it's any good, but maybe not for this list. Yeah, I guess that's the same thing. All right. Do you have any more? I feel like we've talked about this so so often because I think we talked about the movie once, but never as an episode, but Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. Did, yeah. Like, I think, did we just talk about it for a while one, on one episode? Or was no, it in our top five list I've, of some I, like, sort? I've only seen like two thirds of it. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I think I kind of fell asleep when I was watching it. And uh, yeah. It's definitely Jesse one. Jesse Graham, that's another time. one he's been trying to get us to do. Yeah. In fact, it might be a good bonus. When we get back to doing movies for bonus episodes, maybe yeah. Jesse, we could have Jesse on to, to do yeah, that. Yeah, that would be great. 
Let's let's save it for that. I mean, Jesse's yeah. worthy of a main segment too. I'm not saying that, that it has to be. <laughs> Jesse Graham, uh, who all of you know from our David Lynch episodes on Patreon. Right. All right. I have denial of death. Like, I feel like we should throw it on there and just like, if the listeners really want it, they can. Are you going to pre-commit? You're going to yeah. pre-commit? All right, let's do it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. I mean, pretty much already Desi invented a whole analytical <laughs> engine to determine how many times we've mentioned denial of death on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, he put it in the comments, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> So um <laughs> yeah let's do it if the people speak so be it we'll just have to read it yeah the last one that i wanted to put on is and there's no way i can pronounce this person's name um hoffersjord is the last name who suggested an adam smith reading on of the influences and authority of conscience and actually i'm an adam smith like i love adam smith's um theory of moral sentiments and i'd just super be down to like read some more of his moral psychology stuff especially if it's in a chunk that we could do for the Did podcast. Did you later. look at that particular one, though? No. Yeah. Did you? No. I, I had a, a, one of his other ones, the name that you mentioned. That Angstkrik. 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 You just need, that's one vowel for... It's two. Oh, no, yeah. two vowels. <laughs> to be fair. They should swap with Hawaii, you know, that has like nothing but vowels. And they have yeah, like the exactly. perfect language. <laughs> Okay, last one I was going to mention only because I know you, you have the book and you read it a long time ago and I don't think it'll make the list, but the Day Tripper comic. Somebody, Alex Corley suggested Day Tripper oh, and yeah. Watchmen, but I just wanted to give a shout out to that because I think Day Tripper. Maybe I'll do a, if you don't want to do it, maybe I'll do a bonus episode with somebody about Day Tripper. It is one of my favorites. I mean, I liked it. I enjoyed yeah. it, but like, I don't know how like you would do it for an yeah, episode. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think it's a good bonus episode where you're not like under the pressure. We're not under the huge pressure of our main episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have a few other ones. Okay. Fathers and Sons by Turgenev. It's a short novel, which I've read that I really like. And then uh, this is Ian Boisi. And then also he and Martin Ramshaw suggested the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, yeah. Um, Hindu text that I I think we would both dig a lot. Like, this is one I feel like we could throw on there, and if they pick it, like, I think we would enjoy it. You know what I mean? So just think about it. Yeah. Have you ever read any of it? I mean, yeah. I, well, yes. But, like, not in a any kind of rigorous way. Yeah. The placebo effect came mm-hmm. from a couple people. Like, I think, like, that yeah, would be cool to do an episode of it. Yeah, I think I, we should yeah. definitely put that on the list. I agree. Um, Franny and Zooey. I'd be uh, actually would be I would be super down for Franny and Zooey because it's Nikki's like favorite. Oh really? Ever. Yeah, she has tattoos. She named her cat Zooey. <laughs> oh, we should. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we should definitely do it. Whether okay. we put it on the list or not, we should definitely do it because I love that Salinger stuff. But it's been a while. I haven't read it in like twenty years. Okay. Song Soleil, the uh, Chris Marker one. I just want to throw this out there. Like he did like those two movies, essentially La Jete, the like 35 minute movie that was the inspiration for 12 monkeys. And then Sans Soleil, which is just this weird kind of surreal documentary. I think that it would be fun to either put those two together, put La Jete with 12 monkeys. So probably not on this list. Here's one that could be on the list. Banshees of Inisherin. Like yeah. we kind of did it with, you know, yeah, Ben Burgess ben, podcast yeah. uh, and Ryan Lake, which was really fun. So we didn't kind of think to do it for the podcast, but I, I love that movie. I think it would it's be. It's good. I, 
it, in Bruges? Like, should we? Mm. Yeah, we should definitely do that one. It's yeah, we should do. Oh, yeah, he's great. I feel like we've talked about that for so long too. Yeah, um, but but we've never actually done it. Yeah. So yeah, we, it doesn't have to go on the list, but let's we'll keep it in mind. I I heard Martin McDonough on the Roger Deacon's podcast, Team Deacon. Have you listened to that? No, I didn't know. It's fucking awesome. That's it's just Roger Deacon's just interviewing all these people, like actors and directors that he's worked with. He interviews Joel Cohen, Denis Villeneuve. Like you would, you would. Oh my god, I didn't know he had a podcast. I've watched interview. uh, I've watched so many movies with him. Oh my god, it's great. You'll love it. Um, I just like gave you. So, I know. Just, <laughs> so many innings of podcasts to, to listen to. Can we can we invite him on our podcast? How fun would that be? I would be too nervous. Roger. <laughs> uh, here's one that I really like. I want to know what you think. Macbeth. And like this is from Jeffrey Watermill. Like yeah. we've never done a Shakespeare play. I feel like we yeah. could though that that could be that could take us into another. Yeah, I'd be down, especially if I could watch the, the Cohen movie. Yeah. Maybe Denzel will finally get his Oscar. Demary <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Daniel suggested Israel as the. Top. <laughs> what do you I, think about that? That was the top. I assumed that, that was. <laughs> we we're gonna do that one anyway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. So Andrew Florian suggested the work of C.T. Nguyen, a philosopher, and oh, I. Yeah. Yeah, he, he had an article called Games and the Art of Agency that turned into a book. And I, I want to look at that. I, I don't know if it's for the list, but like I'm definitely going to look at it. I, I was more into the seduction of clarity. Yeah, I knew uh, it would be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's look at those. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, did. I actually looked at philosophy. that article okay, okay. and I know the book. I think the book is a possibility. All right. All right. So we got to put it yep. down. We got to split it down. Actually, we didn't mention that Stephen Reed said we should do Stalker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. Definitely we not. should. I agree. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, and we have. And I hope you went back and and enjoyed it. I think I remember feeling like you know, like I didn't like I felt like we did a good job. Uh, I I think it was great, actually. Yeah, you yeah. do. Good. <clears throat> yeah, I uh, like it was one of my favorite movie episodes. Nice. Okay, we definitely have denial of death. Yeah, for sure. I think we definitely have placebo effect. Okay, that's two. So Schopenhauer. And pessimism. Something Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer pessimism. Yeah. I'd be down for the Kurosawa. What was the movie again? Uh, High and High low. And low. I kind of just feel like that's not going to win and we should know more we about it know. before we put it up. How about Good Man is Hard to Find? Yeah. Let's do that. What else do we have? Oh, Passengers, Stella Maris? Oh, yeah. Or are we just going to do that? Yeah. My only concern with that is like, I'm kind of curious if it would win. I just don't want to like have it win and then not be able to do it until summer. But I, we really are going to do it. Like, I'm very excited okay. to do that. Yeah. Okay. Elephant Souls, which I'm down, I'm down for. Fathers and Sons, that would be another, you know, that's on like nihilism. That's a very kind of like Dostoevsky. Yeah. Thing. Tell me what's Fathers and Sons. It's a novel by Turgenev. You know, that same period that Dostoevsky's writing about where you have these little nihilists running around, <laughs> you know, but they're real nihilists. They're not like big Lebowski nihilists. You know, they want right. to like blow up things. And Right. Wait, how many do we have? We have, without Fathers and Sons, we have five. A- including Franny and Zoe or not? Oh, no, not including Franny and Zoe. And no ba- Bhagavad. No Bhagavad Gita. Denial of Death. Do elephants have souls? The placebo effect. Oh, Schopenhauer pessimism. Yeah. Um, Schopenhauer's pessimism. Flannery O'Connor's good man is hard to find. What should we aim for? 
Which I, I think we should let's do six because denial of death is kind of <laughs> you know it's a placeholder. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna win now. <laughs> is, is the elephant one also the dog one? Well, I that was just an idea inside to, of a dog to talk about inside of a dog. That's what I want. <laughs> That's a, that was just an idea. All right, so either Banshee's father of sons or the Salinger. Or friend and zoo. I mean, if Nikki has she a zoo. She literally has yeah. a tattoo that says Seymour from, from that. Oh, one. yeah, from uh, <laughs> Perfect Day for Banana Fish. I mean, I'm down to put Fred and Zoe on there as the sixth. Because I think we'll either do Imbruge or, or Banshees. Yeah, right. All right, let's do that. Okay. Denial of Death, Do Elephants Have Souls, Schopenhauer's Pessimism, Flannery O'Connor, Good Man is Hard to Find, Franny and Zooey. All right. All right, six. There we go. We will be right back to continue our discussion of Bernie. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the episode that we like to take a moment to thank everybody for all of their support. We just did an opening segment um, with all of our listener-suggested episodes, and that's one big form of support that we really appreciate um, because we rely on you for ideas. If you want to message us, we always appreciate that. If you want to reach out to us, you can email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at tamler at peas or at verybadwizards. If you want to engage in discussion with some like-minded, very bad wizards listeners um, or argue with them, you can go to reddit.com slash r slash very bad wizards, lively community of cantankerous fucks. Uh, you can go to Instagram and follow us there, very bad wizards. And if you find it in your heart to give us a rating, you can do it on Apple Podcasts and maybe even leave a review or listen and subscribe on Spotify. Um, we think at least that that helps us reach new audiences. Uh, if you want to support us in more tangible ways, you can do so by going to our support page, giving us a one-time PayPal donation or buying some swag, or you can become our Patreon supporter. We, as you just heard, appreciate you very, very much, those of you who are on our Patreon. Um, but it's not just pure charity on your part. If you join at $1 and up per episode, you get all ad-free episodes and you get um, compendiums, little volumes of beats that I've put together. At $2 and up, you get access to all of our bonus material, including a large back catalog, tons and tons of episodes about movies, TV shows, and our Ambulators series about Deadwood. At $5 and up, you get all of that, plus you get to vote on the episode topic, the list of six that we just chose. You'd get to vote on that. Um, and you also get access to our Five Part Brothers Karamazov series and some videos of my lectures and Tamler's lectures. And finally, at $10 and up, 
you get everything that I just said, plus you get to ask us a question monthly if you so desire and watch us try to answer it on video. Of course, at $2 and up, everybody gets to listen to that Ask Us Anything episode um, on audio, but at $10 and up, you get to ask the question and see it on video. So thank you again to everybody. We really appreciate everything um, that you do to keep us afloat, to keep us uh, motivated. Uh, We wouldn't do this without you. And now let's get back to burning. All right. It's a completely new day, Tamler. <laughs> Let's start from scratch and talk about the second part Let's, of burning. <laughs> yeah. Now that we're refreshed. <laughs> Let's uh, and not at all worried about the Boy, a lot that of things like... <laughs> happened in these past few days. <laughs> uh, you know, Valentine's Day has passed. Um, that all-star headed... game boy a lot of offense <laughs> <laughs> not a ton of defense apparently Jalen Brown was not great in the dunk contest uh, I don't remember yeah we might talk about that or we might not in our subsequent discussion <laughs> no let's just get back into the second part of the recording and now we go back to him shoveling some shit yeah uh, back at his house he's being a good son you know he's taking care of the farm but again there's only one cow left so it's very sad. I love he gives the cow uh, hay when he first gets there. And it's just like the cow is so happy and he's happy. And yeah, so cute. He's singing a little song, which weirdly ends with him saying mommy. I don't know. I remember what the lyrics of the song are, but he's singing mommy right when, when they call to come visit. So they are in the neighborhood, which is weird because he <laughs> lives kind of yeah. in the middle of nowhere by the border. And they're coming by. They want to stop by and uh, hang out. So immediately like he's covered in manure and like clearly goes takes a shower we don't see it and now you have just one like an all-time great sequence here of them coming to his house it's like golden hour evening late afternoon light they brought food like that's a cool thing to do if you're just going to show up at somebody's house is bring food it's very ben to do that (laughs) there's just these beautiful shots like these wide shots of them sitting out on their patio in this beat up farm they can hear the north korean propaganda it's such a great just the the lighting it must take them days to film this because it's like the sunset this is like terrence malick sean baker like this kind of like beautiful golden hour light and and then ben pulls out like a joint for them to smoke and, you know, that doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it is in South Korea. Like, they're very right. anti-drug there, and you get in big trouble. Right. You know the the guy who played the father, not the main father, the, but the, the the rich father in Parasite? He uh, mm-hmm. killed himself because he was caught oh. uh, with drugs and under... Holy yeah. shit. So, like, the fact that he does this with such impunity, without any anxiety or worry, just pulls it out. They smoke, and he, you know, of course, is going to cough like crazy when he first does it. I love this dynamic where he and Jaime are, like, on the same wavelength, where Ben is kind of just doing his relaxed, cool... Unflappable. Suaveness. Yeah. Yeah. But they're actually like enjoying it and it's funny and, you know, like they're connecting here Um, in these big wide shots where you see all three of them. So then you get this Miles Davis music and she starts dancing, doing the great hunger dance. And as she's doing it, the color shifts and it becomes a lot bluer, cooler. And she's doing this amazing, I I think it's a good dance. Like, I don't think, this isn't awkward, like, at the restaurant. Like, it doesn't seem out of place right now. No. 
and then she takes off her shirt as she's doing it. And so she's topless. And the camera dips and it's just perfect silhouette now. It's phenomenal. And of course, Ben is just kind of smiling, like not rolling his eyes exactly, but kind of. Jung Soo is wrapped, you know, like with that open, yeah. like half open mouth kind of looking at it. And she <laughs> is, you know, this is like her liberation. But like in the restaurant, the first restaurant, it's also like uh, leading to a kind of despair. And like you said, the music stops. She keeps dancing for a little bit, <clears throat> but then she starts crying. So at first I thought that the music was non-diegetic. Like I thought this was just soundtrack music. Is it not? Well, that's what I want to ask you. This was the, the dumb detail that I want to ask you because on my second viewing, I realized that um, Ben is standing by his car because he went over to yeah, the car and I think he's playing the music. Yeah. And I think he's playing the music from his sound system. We've heard his sound system before. That's right. When they come up, he's playing like house music. Exactly. And so I think that when the music stops and she keeps dancing... He stopped it. Yeah, it's a different vibe that somebody stopped the music. If the music really is taking place in the movie, that that he would stop it and that she would keep dancing. Because honestly, the vibe shifts completely when she's doing that dance without music. It's like awkward. Yeah, then it goes, yeah, then it's awkward. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, this is something that Ben chose to do if he stopped it. Because it stops yeah. like mid, it doesn't stop at the end of a track. It's no, like, uh, right. it just stops. Uh, it's interrupted. By the way, Miles Davis from the soundtrack to Elevator to the Gallows. Interesting. Great. It's beautiful. It's mesmerizing. It's like, I think it's an all-time great scene. And the and it turns in a way that, like you said, it's like mm -hmm. natural and it's liberated. And then it's uh, awkward and despairing. And I think that's like, we get her character filtered through Jun Su, but this is what we think she is, at least from our perspective she is both yeah. liberated but also trapped and yeah. she's full of life and energy and excitement but also like despairing and borderline suicidal right and this is you know the sunset that she was describing in the restaurant when she yeah. was crying um sunset representing death and finality in the end and dying it, this scene is taking place as the sun is setting and by the time it, she's all done the sun is pretty much set yeah not yeah. quite and it's become pretty a lot much, colder so. more mysterious the the lighting here and of course she, part of the reason she's doing this is because she got really stoned she's a waif of yeah. a thing she has no tolerance yeah. uh even he has more tolerance i think than she does but then she crashes and then yeah. she actually crashes she kind of passes out and now we just get the two guys yeah. so this is weird uh, Jung Soo says uh, he, he just kind of opens up about his dad and his anger problems and how his mother left and his dad made him when he was like seven or eight years old burn his mother's clothes yeah. and obviously Ben doesn't give a shit about that right? like why would you think that Ben <laughs> right. is gonna is gonna yeah he's high yeah. you know it's it's clearly like he has not that much experience and he just starts telling him like something that I don't think he would ever tell anybody yeah, exactly yeah that what Ben takes from that is burning oh burning that's interesting yeah. I burn yeah. down greenhouses and <laughs> they have this conversation again full of metaphoric possibilities but we don't know but what he says is I just burn down greenhouses sometime and yeah. i pick them out i do it about every couple months i pick them out and you can make it disappear as if it never existed and he 
likes that. And that's something she said earlier in the restaurant. I wish I could disappear as if I never existed when I'm at the end of the earth, as you say, which is a callback also to her dance at the at the light. So it's like it couldn't be more calling you to make that connection that he's not talking mm-hmm. about greenhouses. He's talking about I take these like lower class in debt uh, women and I use them until they're no longer interesting to me. I start yawning and then I kill them. <laughs> Once every couple of yeah. months is the best pace. You don't want to rush. And he it. says like, this is how I feel great joy. You know, like uh, the bass sound. Yeah, that bass in my heart. Yeah. Rings to my bone. Yeah. So why do you think greenhouses? Instead of barns. Instead of barns. I was, I have the, literally that question for you. Okay. So I read, I read, I can't take credit for this. Um, somebody proposing that because the word for for greenhouse in korean is literally plastic house oh yeah i read this that too. this is a call to plastic surgery right. and sort of this kind of girl that he mm-hmm. finds yeah which is also like the second girl right yeah that that sounds right uh so it might just be the korean language offers this perfect metaphor right. and he says look the he's like aren't you worried about getting caught he's like no one's gonna fuck right. with me like per, like korean police don't care about greenhouses yeah. Which you again can't help but think like this kind of woman who has no family ties, who's you know poor, they're not going to do like some serious investigation about about yeah. their murder. And every line is like possibly yeah. metaphoric. Like he's like they're <laughs> totally. just waiting to be burned down. I accept that yeah. they are like they're like calling like she has these suicidal kind of totally. thoughts and tendencies, yeah. and she's not talking just about despair or she's not talking about fear of death. She's talking about a real urge to die and to to vanish to like to not vanish. ever yeah. like no trace. That's what he says. Like, right. I, I leave no trace. And that's what she said she would want. Like, like I never existed. Yeah. He, he has something about simultaneity here, too. I don't get this at all. I had that question for you. So the most that I could make of this is that he is somehow personifying death by this. Like, I'm everywhere. Or I'm a like at once. But yeah. And somebody, this is a real stretch. Somebody said, oh, his black horse is like the black horse that death rides on. Mm. But death actually rides on a pale horse. Sorry, Reddit. Nice try. But I don't know, because I, I, I was puzzled by that line as well. Maybe there's some context or, or nuance we're missing to the original. The wide shot of them sitting in the moonlight uh, now at this point, it's like moonlight is just so beautiful. Um, and then all of a sudden, again, like this is the one time Zhang Su is just opening up. He says, I'm in love with Jaime. And oh, all Ben does is just kind of chuckle when he says that. That laugh. And he keeps laughing. Yeah. And he's like, fuck, man, I just told you I was in love with yeah. her. And he just and he just doesn't say anything. He just keeps laughing. Yeah. That is some now That's again. Some you could, shit. He might be real it's some cold blooded shit say to motherfucker, yeah. right? But you could again read it as as if he's super high. Yeah. Right? When you're super high, somebody saying yeah. that Dude. might make you laugh. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, man. She just took off her top. Like, you know, I'm fucking her, right, bro? Like, oh. By the way, I just have to say this the lighting on this, just from what I know, lighting a dark scene like yeah. that is incredibly difficult. And when I was watching this, it's a bit hard to see. And I was jealous of your TV, yeah. your old, your new OLED. <laughs> this was a big win for the movie palace, uh, yeah. seeing this movie on this. Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful. Okay, not a good sequence for Jung Soo uh, when she wakes up, she comes out. Like, actually, right at that kind of crisis moment where he's, like, almost ready to fight. He's like, I just told you. Yeah. She comes out, right. they get ready to go home. And then Jung Soo says, why do you undress so easily in front of men? That's what whores do. Yeah, when she says, when she was making small talk yeah. with him, this tree looks so yeah. big. Yeah. And she's very hurt by it. She doesn't say anything. She just gets into the car, drives away. This is going to be the, that's the last thing he says to her. 
he'll <sighs> like never talk to her again right. after that. You could just see in her reaction, like that hurt. And it's, it's just, again, this is revealing something about Jung Su, like his, some of his anger, his incel vibes. His a insecurity bit, you know? and his lashing out that his dad did. This, I get, I think is central to this film and it's not my ability to, to understand what this feels like, but this seems exactly what the dilemma that young women in South Korea are going through. Like you wanted me like this. This is what, this is the very thing you liked exactly. about me. And now that you are in love with right. me, I, I can't be this person anymore. Right. Like what the fuck? And it's like, this is the pantomime I was doing for you. And now it's yeah. like, you're turning against me. And it, and I think it is, it's like the final betrayal. There's a line later in the movie where Ben's, says to him she trusted you the most of anyone in the world she knew you would always be on her side no matter what and it's not true he wasn't like in the times where he she needed him most he exactly what didn't take her side he didn't back her up it's like how do you live with that if you're Jung Su? it's like i think that and when he doesn't take her home from the airport are like the two key things that he can never forgive himself for you know, like that's yeah. the thing that makes him now become like uh, Philip Marlowe, just obsessed with finding out what happened. But like, <laughs> right. I think the regret of that. And just again, speaking to the universal, this is a very ugly fact about male psychology often where like if, if they don't like you and I've been guilty of it, like your first response is to get mad at them for not choosing you. And it's like, were, was this person your friend or not? Like, and if they were your friend, then like be a friend, you know, put your dick away and, and, and be a friend to another human being, you know, whether or not she's fucking Ben. Yeah. Like this is another human being that you presumably had a real connection with. But know? he has so much just impotent rage and regret and self-loathing that he can't do that. You know, like he can't do yeah. either. He can't fight for her. He can't like, it's me or him, make your choice right now. He can't do that, but he also can't be the friend. So it's again, it's like that kind of limbo. It's funny, we don't get that much of Jung Su's psychology. Like, weirdly, I feel yeah. like I've learned a lot more about Jaime and Ben. Because he yeah. always has that kind of gaping, like, not yeah. vacant, but just kind of confused look. <laughs> and you feel like there's a lot going on, a lot of inner turmoil. Because you go from this to his dream of a greenhouse burning and maybe yeah. the clothes of his mother. So it's a boy maybe. watching a greenhouse burn. And there's a lot of stuff that's burning on it that could be kind of a callback to the clothes of his mother that he had to burn, could be just the greenhouse uh, sides burning. And it's silent, like just no sound at all. And again, just really dark. Spectacular slow-mo fire. So we already know that he's been, he's had dream. He said he's had dreams of his, of the night that he burned his mother's yeah. clothes. So we know there's his dreams. He's just heard about the greenhouse. So his, his mind has melded these two things. And the little boy is smiling. Do you notice mm-hmm. that? Like the little boy has delight kind of on his face. And you really do feel that what Ben was saying about that's the one time he feels joy yeah. is what this little boy is feeling. Yeah. Now, does he, does his subconscious know that he was talking about killing somebody? This made me think, is Jung Su the one that's burning down greenhouses, you know? Dude, I know. There's the there's a whole fight club interpretation. I, 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 I'm not surprised. <laughs> like, it's, it crossed, like, it doesn't work for me as, like, a real yeah, interpretation right. of the movie, but there's definitely things like that, you know? That's him with, yeah. as a kid, looking with great joy. He's constantly going to these greenhouses in the, the rest of the movie with a lighter, yeah. kind of. At one point, yeah. he actually lights a greenhouse uh, on yeah. fire, but then immediately puts it out. It's just like, we, we don't know. We don't know. And, uh, you know, but you're right. He's the one with the, the anger. He's the one who's already been, we didn't say this, but he's already sort of opened up his dad's knife safe 
just to like look at yeah. them. So <laughs> yeah. I have a like a thing in my notes here. Could you do a version of this where there is no Ben? You know, like, like, like <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, totally. So it's, the Porsche doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> uh, we do get like a high me phone. So we get all, always interspersed in the movie these calls that nobody answers. But at one point on his caller ID, it is high me. And he just hears footsteps and running, like in it, yeah, like the, like right. in this kind of echoey footsteps. And again, it's just like she's in trouble, and it's my fault. Um, then he just starts jogging around, looking for all the greenhouses nearby. So Ben says, I don't think we said this, that he's going to burn down a greenhouse near, very near him. Yeah, he's already chosen. And he's it. already chosen yeah. it, and it's going to happen soon. So he keeps going to these greenhouses to see if they've been burned, and then none of them have. Um, right. and, he, and he keeps yeah, returning Philip Marlowe's yeah, he makes a map yeah he makes a map for the, and, and he keeps returning to this one greenhouse and actually going into it once almost lighting it on fire I guess that's the last one the one that confirms that he hasn't uh, burned it down but definitely that's where all those beautiful scenes with that score and that refrain always end at this one greenhouse yeah meanwhile Jaime has disappeared right Jaime's disappeared right Sorry, this is just one stupid detective story detail that I'm very curious about. Ben is talking about how easy lighthouses go up. He says you put, just pour a bunch of kerosene on them and they light. And when when Jungsu tries to light it, it needs zero kerosene, man. That thing is going to light up like crazy, which made me think, again, maybe I'm stretching it here. Maybe Ben has not actually lit a greenhouse if he's talking about having to douse it with with kerosene. Yeah, I guess. I mean, like the way Ben is describing it, it's like almost instant. Whereas, I mean, you're right that he was just able to light it and it started burning. <laughs> yeah. But like maybe that it would have stopped at a certain point. At the, at the plastic. Yeah, yeah, I don't maybe. know. Yeah, but you're right. Point, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> maybe he hasn't. Exactly. Maybe it's just right. some cold blooded shit to say to a motherfucker. <laughs> uh so I love this, like, I mean, it's very cool, but it gets very kind of surreal. Also, like the Schrodinger's like cat starts to multiply to the point where you really don't know what's real. He starts, he, he goes to her family and the family yeah. says there was no well. So she had said, you rescued me from a well when I was seven and I was just in this well calling out, looking at the sky, not knowing if any, and, and you found me. And they say that never happened. She always makes up stories like there was no well. So now he's not only trying to find her, but also trying to find out if there was a well. Right. And like there's just a bunch of other things. He goes to the pantomime class that she took. Did you notice they're doing yeah. the great hunger dance kind of thing? That, oh, no. Yeah. They're doing this thing. Good catch. And yeah. like that oh. made me think, did she just make that oh, up? All right. So then, huh. like, the other thing they do in this, the pantomime class, I only, I just saw in this last viewing. So they do, like, part of the Great Hunger Dance. It's not clear that it is that. It could also be just some weird mime shit. Then he asks if she's been there. She, pantomime teacher says no. And then they go back, and the next pantomime they do is taking off a mask. Uh -huh. Again, pregnant with metaphorical possibilities. Right. It's a pantomime class. It's, you know, we're taking off a mask. So then he goes and huh. sees uh, Ben. Uh, he's, he's like stalking him and goes to this cafe where he's reading Faulkner as it happens. <laughs> Again, could be innocent. He says, like, did you burn down your greenhouse? Ben says, yes, totally. It's great. And he says, well, I don't know, because I've looked all around, like all the greenhouses and they're all still there. Uh, so I wouldn't have missed it. And then Ben just implacable, just like you cannot ruffle his feathers at all. He's like, yet you have. Maybe you missed it because <laughs> yeah. it was too close. Ugh. 
And then when he says, have you seen Tsai Mi? He says, no, like I don't, she's not returning my calls either. She just disappeared into thin air. Again, kind of recalling. Right. As if she never was. So like everything is uncertain. The uncertainties now are piling up. We have an unreliable narrator. We have, I wanted to ask you about this. Like at one point where he's stalking him, he's running in a penthouse like gym on a treadmill And he kind of looks for a second. The Ben character almost looks like he's moved. Do you think he's feeling watched? Does he feel remorse? Like, what do you think the import of that scene is? I think Ben knows he's being followed. But that's only solidified because I caught that little look too, that little move. And it's really on the, on the highway that solidified it to yeah. me because he catches his Porsche. He's following him on the highway. And for no reason whatsoever, the Porsche books it and starts weaving out of traffic. And I feel like Ben is, he knows that he's being followed by Jong Su, but who knows what he thinks is going on. But I think he knows that something's, something's, something's up. up. I also think it's a nice contrast. He's running in this beautiful, like, penthouse gym on a treadmill, you know, just athletic and rhythmic and like checking his, <laughs> yeah. his heart. And, and when Jong Su is running, it's just like staggering. He has this like interesting way that he's running where it's like he's almost about to fall down as he's running. And it's like there's a kind of desperation to it, which is very different from the smooth, rhythmic running on a treadmill that you see Ben have. Yeah. Steven Yun is just like, a, he exudes just like better gene pool almost. Superior <laughs> DNA, like he said. Yeah, superior DNA to his mom, right? If that was his mom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a weird... Se- we get Here's where we learn that he's a good Christian boy. It's always weird to me that Korea is so largely Christian, but they show a scene of, again, uh, Jong Su following, stalking Ben, but he stalks him to church and everybody's dressed super fancy and something that you, I'm surprised you haven't talked about more, but this clear class difference. Like this is clearly like a church of rich people and Jong Su is dressed in like his farmer clothes, you know? It's, it's almost like Jong Su now is not worried about that. Like he was in the earlier scenes when right. he's with the, but now he's just obsessed. Yeah, he's totally Philip Marlowing, like you said. In fact, this has the makings of a just a noir on its own. Totally. Like it, he could have taken this part of the movie and turned it into and just And that's a, a Murakami thing. These kind of surreal noirs, like the, like the novels of his that I've read are all like that. Um, what do you mm. make of the, like he follows him up to this reservoir where in the beautiful light, he's just staring at the reservoir. Again, great shot of him crouching behind his car. Well, like it feels like Ben knows that he's there, but doesn't react, just looks at the beautiful light by the reservoir. I didn't know what to make of that. It cuts right to him waking up. So you also wonder, did he dream that? Because nothing comes of it. It's just him like crouching behind his Porsche while he looks... Uh, at the light at the reservoir like i don't know i don't know what to make of that yeah i don't know it's a beautiful shot like just the camera movement up crouching up to ben from behind with him just not moving at all like i got the vibes that ben at this because at this point they've had a little car chase and jung has pulled like this cartoon move of like hiding into like dipping into a little parking area and the porsche goes by because the you just get the vibes that he knows that he's being followed and I think at the reservoir, I feel like he was waiting for this to be like a meeting of some sort. Like that Jong Su didn't have the balls to confront him there. He just he just was like, all right. But finally he does. He what you say about class, it's such a clear theme in the movie. And yeah. it also, I think, connects to this idea that your destiny is kind of laid out by that. Like, you know, right. nobody's able to escape it. Uh, high me, if you believe Ben, in a lot of debt, and you believe her parents, in a ton of debt. 
And the mother was like, you don't get to come home <laughs> until you pay off your credit cards. Uh, same with the, he goes and sees one of the other dancers at the original place. And she says like, right. the, the expectations they put on working class girls here is impossible. Like, where's the country for yeah. women? Yeah, finally, Ben, it's almost like he's been playing with him, toying with Jung Soo, and then just says, all right, I know you're here outside my apartment. Why don't you just come up in? And he has a new girlfriend. He's already getting bored of this new girlfriend. Like, once again, <laughs> Jung Soo, not even with Jaime, just finds himself in this place where he doesn't belong, where he's alienated from. And Right. There's something you said that makes me kind of interpret Ben here when he, when he catches him outside of his house in a slightly different way than I think I was. So clearly Ben gets bored of everybody, yeah. right? So like, I think that that's what they're trying to communicate to us. That this kid, this poor kid, who just through sheer circumstance of meeting Jaime in Africa, like enters his life, that he is Inspector Clouseauing his way around yeah. to try to like solve some mystery is, I think, finally giving him something interesting. Yeah. To yeah, do. Exactly. Like, this is a person who's not just boring me like everybody else. And, and he's treating him like people in the Pink Panther movies treat Clouseau. Like, they're pretending <laughs> yeah, exactly. that they're like, oh, that, that what Clouseau is doing is brilliant just for the kicks of it, just for the fun of it, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and it really becomes almost blatant. Yeah. Like, when he sneaks into the bathroom, like, he says, I got to go to the bathroom when he's up in the apartment. And then he yeah. goes into the bathroom like he's Cato or Clouseau. Like, he's creeping into the bathroom. <laughs> Why? He said he was going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. There's nobody around. There's no reason for him to like creep in and like close the door really quietly. Like he knows he's there. It's just very, Ben is really putting up with ben it. Ben is like, hey, cool, yeah. Ben. Because I was wondering why is he putting up with it this much? And I really do think it's because this is finally something entertaining. Like I think he's finally like not just getting bored of yeah. people. And so the reason he's like, hey, come on yeah. up. Like he wants to see what this fucking guy is going to do. It's fascinating. Like one thing he could be doing is like, I just like to study like the normals, you know, <laughs> like uh, the humans yeah. and see how they act and how their emotions get themselves into all these problems. But then I also feel like he might love Jung Soo. Like when he says, I think so. Like, you need to relax and feel the bass in your heart. It's the only way to be alive. It's almost like he's in love with them there, not just fucking with them. So it's like, right. like even there, it's like you could interpret it different ways. Like, this is actually a human connection yeah. that Ben, for the first time, might be actually feeling. Like, I like this guy. Like, he's, he's awkward and pathetic, but he's actually stirring something up inside of me. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's, it was like just nascent thought in my head, which is, I think, and I, I was, as I was watching it, I was trying to tease apart whether I just like Steven Yeun. Like, I think he's just a charming guy. Like, I think he's like, seems like a nice dude in real life. I was like, why do I not dislike? He seems warm, genuinely warm at times yeah. to Jong Su. And it doesn't jibe well with the psychopath stuff. But as we get to the last scene, like we can talk a little bit about like, what I think really are genuine emotions on his face. Yeah. And maybe like ones that he's not used to experiencing, which is why he is putting up with his Clouseau Cato stuff. Okay, like here's the big question now. We're coming to the end. He leaves their apartment. He's having a like a potluck dinner with these rich friends. His new girlfriend is also kind of embarrassing herself, but not maybe to the same extent. Stephen Young is yawning, which means your ass. And then he just leaves and goes home. Or no, goes to Jaime's apartment. 
right? Right. But wait, are we not talking about the cat at all? Oh, fuck me. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the door gets left open as the guests are arriving. We've learned that he uh, Ben has a new cat. And uh, he's like, oh, when did you get a cat? He's like, oh, I found him or whatever to stray. Um, I just decided to turn him in. What's his name? I don't know. I haven't decided what's his name. So as the guests are arriving, he's propped the door open and the cat gets out. And they all start looking for the cat. So he goes, he realizes what's happened as he gets out of the bathroom. And they go to the uh, garage and they're looking for the cat. And it just turns out the Jiangsu spots the cat. And he is crouched down behind cars. The cat has banned the cars. And he does what I think any smart detective would do. He calls out the name of Jaime's cat, which was Boyle. And again, perfect ambiguity. Like the first time the cat doesn't really respond. The second time he says the name, the cat runs toward him. And at least I thought the first time I was watching, like, boom, nailed him. Like, this is Jaime's cat. But on the second time, I wasn't quite so sure. What, what did you think? I, like, I don't, like, there's no way to know. It's still the Schrodinger's <laughs> cat situation. I feel like it's obvious whichever way you go into yeah. it. If you properly forget the detail, <laughs> one detail. From his perspective, of course it's her cat. Like, he went in there, he cleaned it up, which she never does. She He cleaned up her apartment. She never cleaned her apartment, but her apartment was clean when he got the landlady to let, to let him in. Right. And took the cat because it was cute. So, like, it totally makes sense that it would be the cat, but then it also, you know, it's something that he might do is have a cat. And right. you just get nothing but from convinced. Ben, like either way. Yeah, yeah. nothing, nothing. He's either just yeah. com- still playing this charade or he's being sincere. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. So now he goes to the apartment, the Jaime's apartment. There's a another jerking off scene, but at least he's in the bed now and he imagines her behind him jerking him off. So, you know, I guess much better, much better, better than, than better than staring, staring at, the tower. at the tower. Then he starts writing, right? He starts writing. You get yeah. this shot of him looking out the window, writing. What we get is probably the story. And Ben is very interested in the fact that he might be writing about him, right? And has been throughout the yeah. movie kind of made little uh, comments to that effect. And it zooms out as he's writing. And then for the first time in the whole movie, we just get a shot of Ben with the new girlfriend doing like real psycho shit, like putting lipstick on her (laughs) in this like creepy way. But this is the first time that we get something that isn't from Jong Su's perspective is not there. He's not in the apartment. And so Mm -hmm. it's definitely at least allowing you to think this is the novel. This is what he's yeah. he's writing right now. And of course, Ben yeah. is doing psycho shit. Like the, the girlfriend looks a little frightened as he's doing it. And then it just cuts to the last scene by the greenhouses where Ben shows up. Clearly, at least from what Ben says, he expected Jaime to be there too. So uh, Jung Soo must have said, I'm with Jaime. You should come and meet us like they would always do to him, right? And then as soon as he gets out of his beat-up truck, he stabs uh, Ben. In one weirdly beautiful long shot. Yeah, and it goes from his truck back to the car, to the Porsche, where Ben is sort of trying to escape, and then he pursues him. And then they have this seemingly meaningful scene where as he's stabbing him at the end, Ben hugs him as he dies, like grasps him and hugs him. And, that, you know, why is he hugging him? Is it because he's feeling something again? Like, all of a sudden, like, he's feeling these weird yeah. things called emotions and human connection. I don't know what it is, but he hugs him. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you know, it could be some weird sort of reflex at the end where he's like trying to like right. grab him. Like it could yeah. be that. Totally. You don't know. This movie yeah. never answers those kinds of questions. What I like about this scene and it's like stunningly beautiful and dark and, but it's, it's also an ugly kind of clumsy murder. It's yeah. like very much a Jiang Su murder. Like this is not how you imagine Ben would murder someone. He's like stumbling from the van <laughs> right. to the porch. He's getting the kerosene. He's like throwing up in, in the middle of it. Then he, he's burning the, Porsche with uh, Ben inside and then also decides to take off all his clothes while he's doing that and throw also throw that in the Porsche which is I think a strange choice that I don't fully get like why don't he just burn the clothes somewhere else and not be naked in the freezing cold and maybe they'll find his clothes there like if he like it seems like it's more incriminating to do that yeah they're definitely going to find his volume (laughs) and then he walks back to the truck in that when you were mentioning his lumbering sort of running yeah. style, like this is a very awkward naked walk. He's almost like a proto-human yeah, walk. Like a golem. Know? Like a knuckle dragger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Ben really does have an almost look of ecstasy yeah. on his face. It's almost like, you know, those Sumerian statues of somebody those, those looking up at God with their eyes open. It almost is like he had a religious moment mm-hmm. right then. And I, I couldn't help but read it as he's thanking Jiang Su for yep. something. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like you've made me feel something, maybe, or you've—I've given you the gift of you find—you're finally feeling that base in your heart that I've felt. That's right. Yeah, I think that might be. You know, certainly one way to look at it is I've reached you, and now you're me. Yeah. You're the one that's burning things yeah. down and right. killing thing and killing people and making things disappear without a trace. Oh, maybe he is the greenhouse after all. Ben. Yeah, he set the story in motion so that, so that like the movie Seven, yeah. he's like caused his own death, <laughs> and he was just calling out. I was the last greenhouse that was so close to you, you didn't notice. Yeah, Yeah, no, uh, (laughs) I think that's what it is. You solved it. (laughs) Tell me there's nothing to solve, motherfuckers. (laughs) I think it's not, you know, who was the greenhouse. It's just the greenhouses that we burned along the way. (laughs) That's it. It's beautiful. You get the reflection again. So many reflections of the flames and the burning car. And there's something very visceral about seeing a car. I actually recently saw a car just go up in flames in a parking lot because somebody crazy, right? and then it yeah. spread to another car. And there and just Ugh. all the people were gathered around it. It was there's something very viscerally like it fucked with everybody that was seeing it, you know? Like there was no yeah. stopping it. And the the fire like fire trucks didn't come for like half an hour. So just like every car was just like at threat of being um, and, and you just watch it burn slowly, like different, and then little explosions when it hits the gas tank, and then yeah, it's right. it's uh, taps into something when you see a burning car like that. Ever since I was a kid, I've loved fires. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. It's totally a thing of beauty, and he shoots it like a thing of beauty, yeah. right? Like, and he's <laughs> naked in this car, trying to like heat up the, the beat up truck that probably doesn't have heat, <laughs> driving away, Dude, and that's it. And we don't know if this is his novel. You know, like the perspective thing gives you a hint that it very much might be. I don't Especially the slow pan out. All of a sudden we're like floating out the window and we're seeing him from afar. It does give you like a, I don't know, Stephen J. Cannell Productions like vibe where like you're seeing someone typing. Yeah. um, Exactly. And why would for the first time, two hours and 15 minutes into a movie, are you now for the first time showing something that he's not present for? I have to say, gun to my head, like- it doesn't it doesn't do that much for all of the other details of the movie you know like there's still all this other stuff that we don't know what's happening but gun to my head i think this is the way that jong 
Sue finished the story. Yeah. Like his desire to to have some sort of answer for because here's the shitty answer. She left because you hurt her and she's never gonna talk and to you. And she's in debt. And she's yeah. in debt. Yeah. The answer that will might do something for him is what if this guy is actually a creepy serial killer and I was the one who finally got vengeance for the death of this woman I loved. Yeah. I, I think that's right. It's like whether he's writing it or he's actually doing it, I think that's how he feels. Like I can't face that the reason she disappeared is because, like, I let her down. I need to have closure, you know. Yes, I didn't rescue her, but at least I avenged her. And in that sense, I was there for her. I did back her yeah. up when she needed me. Yeah. yeah, so here's the thing. So there's a lot of things in the movie that we've talked about at nauseum that, that are giving us two sets of information that are inconsistent, the Schrodinger's thing. We also, we didn't mention that he meets with his mother at, at the coffee shop. Um, right. And he asks her, was there a well or not? And she's like, oh, yeah, they had yeah, a well. So then, Do you think that the phone calls were from his mother? Maybe. Yeah. Like, we don't yeah. know. Yeah. We only know yeah, we one know. was from Hyman, or at least, like, yeah. that's what it appears on his phone. It's actually a heartbreaking scene, sort of, with the mother. We didn't talk about it, but it's like a, a sad scene because she's clearly not that guilty about having abandoned her children. And very much, like, also in debt in the way that reflects Hyman. Yeah, she's also in like, debt. Like she, like, or at least what yeah. they're saying about Hyman or Jaime. Yeah. You know, they're, they're chasing her, and you just get the sense this would be what Jaime would be in 40 and that's years. Why, yeah, and he offers to pay off her yeah. debt. You know, who knows how. Right. Again, yeah. like, too little too late yeah. for Jaime, but at least maybe I'll do it. And the mother is just on her phone. That sucks. It really sucks. Like, looking yeah. at Facebook or whatever. Yeah, and so, okay, so we get all of these details that are could go either way. It's different from the ambiguity that I'm used to in some of these movies where one fact could go either way. Like Li Chang Dong is like giving us two pieces of information that are actually in direct conflict. There is poop, but you never see the cat. Some people say there was a well, some people say there wasn't. That's a different kind of ambiguity than one fact that you can interpret both ways. And so all of that stuff, you know, is still whatever up for grabs. But then that last scene is a different kind of ambiguity. Like it really feels as if the directorial intent was to genuinely make you believe that now we're seeing his writing because why show the writing like there's not now an additional scene that shows that he wasn't writing or whatever like this is the last word from the director himself so without really explaining why we got that scene it's hard for me to think that the events as they unfold so here's a way because i actually don't love the we're just seeing the end of his novel or whatever uh interpretations yeah. Uh, yeah i don't but i do think that one way to kind of do both is to say okay he's writing this and what he's writing is that scene with uh ben and his new girlfriend who he's about to kill putting the lipstick on remember he found like yeah. a bunch of lipstick early on in the movie in his house so he's imagining that this is the kind of cold-blooded shit that he does before he kills them then he calls ben and actually meets him but it's that writing thing that gives him the courage to actually go through it because now he's he can visualize and make concrete like yep. what Ben is actually doing. And so then he actually calls him. I think that's a total yeah, and that puts totally it back legitimate. into the kind of it could yeah. go either way right. thing. But you're right. Yeah, it's a different totally, level. Yeah. Of thing because there's yeah. not much in the movie where it's like I don't know if that happened or not. It's more right. I don't know if what this person is saying is true. I don't know if this person is a psychotic or just rich. <laughs> right. I don't know if right. uh, you know she's making up that I called her ugly or found me in a well. Like it's not like that. It's like is this actually happening? 
and that's a different level right. of uncertainty. But these uncertainties just keep multiplying throughout the whole movie and just echoing outwards until it really does swallow up the movie. And it's what it's about. Right. Like, that's what the movie is about. Yeah, I'm with you that I don't prefer that interpretation that it was just a novel, but I would be fine yeah. with it. But again, it's it's not what it's about. In some ways, it's sadder because like yeah, this is right. the only way he can really take revenge, writing of something that no one will probably ever read. <laughs> right. Or less sad because I feel like he would just totally get caught and go to prison like his dad. <laughs> yeah. Did you catch in any of the discussions that uh, the word make up and burn yes. are spelled the yes, same way? Yeah. I did. I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah. I feel like we would have gotten a lot. Well, we might still get a lot because people don't listen this far in. <laughs> um, yeah. And when I was looking at that makeup scene, you described it as creepy. And it could be that this is like the uh, ritual serial killer doll, you know, preparing the sacrifice before he makes it. But it could also be like the guy has fun putting on makeup on his girlfriend, you know? And yeah, it could be that he's ashamed to tell people that he likes being a makeup artist. It could be that he's gay and that's why he likes Jung Soo. Right. And this is like part of the, the thing that he's been struggling with. He's a nice guy, but he can't really live in this Christian upper class Korean environment because he's gay, you know? If. Jung Soo was like watching it and like he was in the next room kind of peeping through like a door. Then I would agree with you. But I feel like this has to be just going on in Jung Soo's mind because. He's yeah, not I think that's right. I think you're right. I think that that's what I thought, too, is like this is what you think a serial killer yeah. does. Yeah. Whether he is one or not and whether he does meet him right. at the, by the greenhouses at the end or not, I do think like I don't see yeah. how to and just in the language, the cinematic language of the movie. Like, I feel like this has to be taking place in his mind or in his book. Yeah. And some people have pointed out that there is the last thing that he's it does seem that he's genuinely expecting Jaime to be there. Yes. And why would and he that, say that? Yeah. Why would he say that? Why would he show up? Like it, it, it seemed sincere, but maybe this is part of what he's playing, some game he's playing. He wants to see what he's going to do. He maybe didn't expect that he was going to kill him. And again, something that makes it seem like it's not his novel, because why would he have been, say right, that, right. you know, and right, why would he right. have been hugging him like that? You know, uh, maybe he <laughs> right. would. Maybe he's a better writer than we would give him credit for it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Uh, I hope we staggered our way through this in a way that does justice to Jung Soo and Jaime and the great hunger. And, and Ben. And that's Ben. Be nice. I, you he love be completely there, There's definitely love uh, that's <laughs> going on here. <laughs> All right. Join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. Just a very bad wizard.